0: All right, good morning. Well, I get to introduce our guest preacher this morning. Uh, You may not know Will Gant, but Will Gant knows redemption. Uh, He has been a part of redemption for over 20 years. Uh, Will was first a leader at Redemption Gilbert for what is now Redemption Gilbert for around 10 years, and then he was sent out and supported to plant a church in town uh, that he led faithfully for another 10 years, and in this last season, he's kind of transitioned out of that. Him and his family have uh, led that faithfully and well and kind of transitioned out of that, and they've been here at Redemption Tempe in this last season, and Will's been amazing. He has led, uh, helped some of our uh, leadership training and things like that uh, that's been going on this last year. Uh, he's helped Jim and I process through some of the leadership challenges in the church over this last year and a half, and uh, we're just really stoked. I'm stoked that he, we get to have him uh, bring the word this morning. So would you give a warm Redemption family welcome to Will Gant? Amen,
1: amen. Good morning, Redemption Tempe. Good morning. Like I said in the first service, and I did it again, that was the quickest that I moved in the past few months. Yeah, Josh talks fast. He he gets into it, then he wraps it up really quick. You know, you got to quick step it, so amen, amen. Well, we are still in the rebuilding series in Nehemiah. We are in chapter 6. And we're going to be talking about some things that Nehemiah can teach us in this biblical narrative on the rebuilding of the wall. So getting into it, in the process of rebuilding the wall, we see this constant barrage of attacks, attacks that come from outside of the community, but also from inside the community, culminating in this grand conspiracy designed to defame Nehemiah and to turn the people against him. I asked myself when I was putting working on this sermon, I said, self, why is Satan so bent on attacking this project? Why does Satan hate us so much? In our lives, we see the attacks of Satan all over the country, all over the world, primarily focused at churches and believers. So I know that this illustration helps me understand what's behind these attacks. So in the ancient world, if you had a king or an emperor, that you had allegiance to, what you would do is to show your allegiance, you would put a statue, a carved image in your home. Sometimes that image was of stone, sometimes of wood, sometimes of precious metal. But that statue, that image would sit in your home, and it would say to everyone that my allegiance is to this king. If something would happen and you would suddenly rebel against that king, the first thing you would do is break that image. In Genesis, we see the Godhead saying, let us make man in our image. And then shortly after that in chapter 3, you see the snake attacking the image of God and causing the fall of man. You see, it's not so much about you or I, it's about God. You see, sometimes even in our Christian culture, we think that that Satan and God are in this struggle, right? Sometimes Satan winning, sometimes God winning, but that's not the case at all. Our God is omnipotent, he's omniscient. He's sovereign. Not only does he see everything and know everything, but he has the power to change everything. Satan is no match for God. But what he does is he attacks his image to show his rebellion against God. That's where we come in. We are the ones who he attacks. Because we are the primary uh, ones that reflect the glory of God in this world. That's what the church does. We we display his glory in the things that we do and the, the, the word that we preach and teach and how we love. And Satan doesn't like that. So what he does is he tries to stop it. He knows what his end is but he tries to impede the glory of God going forth. So understanding that, we see that Nehemiah was called by the Lord for this great project. And Satan doesn't want to see this project come to fruition. So what does he do? He attacks it. But Nehemiah was able to bring restoration to Jerusalem after its wall had lain in ruin for over 150 years. He led the people in this labor of love. They experienced mockery. They experienced attacks. They experienced distractions and temptations to sin. Yet God equipped them to stand resolute in their efforts, completing this daunting task in just 52 days. No matter what challenges come our way, my friends, if God is with us, we can complete any task that he gives us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, Lord, and we pray, Lord, right now that we hear Jesus. That that this vessel that stands before your people has something to say, but only as it relates to what you said, God. Let me echo your truths, not mine. Father God, I pray that you would use me, you would protect me, and that this word would land on good ground in the hearts of your people. These things we ask and pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, in Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, this is what it says, Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, come and let us meet together at Hakaphirim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way and I answered them in the same manner. You see, they were being used. We see this duo of Sambala and Tobiah coming up over and over again. They are the quintessential haters. They're constantly gnawing at the heels hill, of Nehemiah and the work that he's trying to accomplish. And in this text, it says they were trying to trick him to come down to the plain of Ono, which was very far away and would have been very dangerous for Nehemiah to go there, but that's what they were trying to do. They were trying to lure him. Nehemiah knew that. He said, they intended to do me harm. But even above that, he says, I am doing a great work. Why should I come down there so the work stops? My first point is, don't get distracted. You see, Nehemiah didn't allow them to distract him. He wasn't falling for the bait because he knew that what God had called him to do was a great work. Like what A.W. Tozer says about this text here, he says, falling in his, failing in his frontal attacks upon the child of God, Satan often turns to more subtle means of achieving his evil purposes. He resorts to devious methods in his attempt to divert the Christian from carrying out the task of God that he has been committed to. He often succeeds by involving the saint in some other lesser occupation, so distracting him, end quote. When Satan attacks the key to overcoming distractions is, tr- is to remember who you are and whose you are. Who you are and whose you are. Now, that seems a little off because that we're talking about distractions, Will. Why, why are you flipping to identity? I'm glad you asked. In the great theological uh, a movie on this issue, in this particular scene, is found in The Lion King, where Rafiki, the the, the baboon, and he's talking to Simba, the, the young lion who was supposed to be king. And he's trying to get Simba to understand that he has a bigger work to do that he cannot just hang out and eat bugs or whatever he was doing. That he had something bigger and better to do. So he tells, he tells Simba that, that I'm going to show you your father. So they, he, he pulls up, open the grass and, and, and there's this pool and Simba looks into the pool and he stares at the pool and he starts to get a little downhearted. He says, that's not my father that's just my reflection he's told to look harder he said Simba he lives in you and then he hears his father's voice his father voice says Simba you have forgotten me and Simba answers back how could I how could I have forgotten you dad I love you He says, you have forgotten me because you've forgotten who you are. Because you've forgotten who you are, so you've forgotten me. You are more than what you have become, Simba. You need to go back. And Simba says, how can I go back? And instead of him giving a pathway on how he can go back or how he should go back, he says, Simba, remember who you are see, to overcome distractions, you have to remember who you are and whose you are. You have to stay on task, not because it's about you or me, but it's about God and his glory. If we were to go to another country as ambassadors... There would be places that you would go and not go because you were ambassador. You would always know who you were because you represented the United States. You would always have who you are in the front of your mind because of what your job was. Well we are ambassadors for Christ, aren't we? Aren't we? Yeah, that's right. It's first, it first starts with acknowledging that, right? We are ambassadors of Christ. We are always called to understand that is our primary function in this world. We have to remember who we are and whose we are. The Bible puts it like this in Colossians 3. It says, if then, referring back to chapter 2, that is this great Redemption Tempe, if then you have been raised with Christ, that you are a Christian, you are a believer, you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you are empowered by God, you have been given the wisdom of God, then you are to seek the things that are above. Now, what does that mean? Seek the things that are above in heaven, the things in heaven where God reigns and rules in heaven perfectly. That's your goal, to see things like that. That's why we pray. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. That's what our desire is. That your will would be perfectly displayed in and through your people. Remember who you are. Remember whose you are. Because it says in verse 4, Christ, who is your life. He's not a part of your life. Jesus is not an additive. If, we were, if, 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 if I would open up my shirt and you would see the ingredients of who I am, it should have one ingredient, Jesus Christ. He is your life. Everything you do, everything you say should be filtered through your understanding of who Christ is. Amen? Amen? That's how you can avoid being distracted. When you tap into that power of God that's living in you, it's very hard for someone to distract you. Don't get distracted. But also don't, don't be Discouraged. In, in verses uh, five through nine, it says, in the same way, here's that hater again, Sambalat for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. And it was written, it is reported among the nations and Geshem also says it, that, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent him saying, no such thing as you say have been done. You are inventing them out of your own mind, for they all wanted to frighten us thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen me, end quote. I like this. When I first read this, I I, I heard this this passage in in, uh, my Monty Python, Python voice. It said, you're inventing things out of your own mind. I don't know why that was. I just, it just did. I don't, I don't know. But Nehemiah knew this was just a a creation out of their own mind, a, a conspiracy to get him to do something that God didn't want him to do. They were making up lies about him. Have you ever been lied on? Some of you have in heinous ways. As it relates to ministry. But how how do you deal with that? How do you keep from being discouraged when people are talking about you? I like this, this poem. It says, They're saying things that are not true. Oh, blessed Lord, what shall I do? He answers, What is that to thee? Your duty is to follow me. Simple, simple rhyme. They're talking, so what? They're talking about you. That's what haters hate, right? That's what they do. They're going to talk about you. What does that have to do with you? You follow me. We all face challenges and difficulties in life, but as God has had helped Nehemiah, he will also strengthen our hands for the rest of our lives in whatever task he gives us. See, it's easy to be discouraged when faced with criticism or challenges. But I pray that we persevere. And some of you might say, well, I don't know. People talk. Yeah, sometimes it hurts. It stings. Right? You're a stay-at-home mom. You got three small kids. You're doing your best. You're trying to be a loving wife. You're trying to be a godly mother. And then the quality of how you mother your children is brought into question. That stings. Or you you come, you come every Sunday and, you, and you're serving on the front line, or you're serving doing communion, you're serving in different ways, and somebody is always going to have something negative to say. It stings. Don't be discouraged. It comes with the territory. See, the problem with discouragement is it usually blindsides you. See, discouragement comes when you don't expect it. And then your feelings get hurt. I I, I tell my son all the time, he plays football, he's a very emotional football player. And I always tell him, it's about in Psalms where I, I I said, son, you can never let your emotions get unbridled from the scriptures. And I always give him the illustration of a chariot. It's like, and your emotions are the horses. And as long as you hold on to those reins, you can control them. It's okay to feel them. But what happens when you drop the reins and now you are prey to wherever those horses want to take you, that's a problem. Your emotions cannot be unbridled from the scriptures. You always have to hold on to the reins. Does that mean you feel emotions? Absolutely. Sometimes that chariot really speeds up. But God is saying, hold on. Don't let them go. It's okay. It's okay for them to speed up. It's okay for them to slow down really slow. Don't let them go. My question is, what has God called you to do? Why is it important for you to take it seriously? How do you see sometimes the smallest things that you do in your life as it relates to God and ministry? How do you see it as a great work? There's a song. And I believe the title is, it's all about you. This is just a verse. It says, it's all about you, Jesus. Jesus. And all this is for you, for your glory and your fame. It's not about me as if you should do things my way. You alone are God, and I surrender to your ways, Jesus. I love that song because it allows me to grab the reins. It's not about me. It's all about Jesus. All of life, all of Jesus, that's not just a tagline. That, they're, they're trying to get that ingrained in your soul. You want to you make it through this life? You want to not be discouraged? Make your life all about Jesus. What people say to you won't matter. Why? Because it's all about Jesus. Anything you do as it relates to the kingdom is important. You have no idea how important it is. You frontline people, you don't know when someone is coming in and is going through something just terrible. And a smile and a prayer can change everything for them. Give them the courage to just go on one more day. You know, the, the, these guys in the sound booth, I know they don't really get a lot of love. I'm going to give them some love now. See, because I, I, I participated in a, in a church where the sound was really bad, and it was a distraction, right? You guys, you, this sound system is great, and you take it for granted, right? Right? Because it can be a, stra- a distraction to get the food that you need, but now this is a non-issue now. Why? Because they're serving and they're serving in a way that make it seem to them in their hearts as a great work. I, I was I was uh, I mentioned this earlier. There was um, back in the day. This was probably in the seventies. Um, There was a big garbage strike in New York, and I know most of you don't know about that, but there was a big strike, a garbage strike. They wanted to get more money, so they let them strike. The garbage in New York was six to seven feet piled up on the street. A garbage man, a garbage job was just that, a garbage job, right? Until that garbage piled up. And then that was a great work, (laughs) right? It's all about your perspective and understanding the importance of what you do. I pray that you help us believe that we are doing a great work no matter what it is. And I trust that you called us in this season that to do a work that would impact you, God, and your kingdom in this earth. I pray that you give us focus to stay the course. I pray, Lord, that you strengthen our hand. In Habakkuk 3.19, I love this passage. It says, God, the Lord is my strength. But that whole passage talks about he's my strength in spite of my fears. He is my strength fight in spite of my temporal lack. He is my strength, no matter what, to get me through. Because it's not even about the great work. It's about serving a great God who gave us that great work. And my last point, be discerning. Be discerning the text. Now, when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Delia, son of, I didn't say that right, son of... who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you. They're coming to kill you by night. But I said, should such a man as I run away and what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambelet had hired him. And for this purpose, he was hired, that I should be afraid and act this way and sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sambalit, oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. Here's the key. They wanted to make him afraid. They wanted him to fear. Remember, an old saint told me one time, we were talking about actually some cultural stuff, and I asked him about fear, and this wise Older pastors said, Will, fear makes you do stupid things. Fear makes you do stupid things. Nehemiah wasn't afraid because he wasn't trying to be safe. So here's what was happening. They, were, they made up this story to get uh, Nehemiah to run to the temple for protection, to be safe. But Nehemiah knew, first of all, "Ah, I can't go into the temple, into the Holy of Holies, because that's just for priests. I can't do that. I can't run into the temple and hide, because what will that say to the people about who I am? I can't do that. The reason I can't, I don't, I, I didn't even consider it is because fear is not something that affects me. They were trying to make him afraid, but he wasn't falling for it. My question is, what would you do in your life for God if you weren't afraid? What is it? What is it that you would do? Dream, dream big. What is this big dream that God has given you, but you're not going to do it because you're afraid? You're afraid because it's not safe. That big dream is not safe. Being called to some foreign country to do ministry, uh, that might not be too safe. Going to Tempe to do ministry sometimes is not safe. And it freezes you up because you put safety in a place of preeminence that the scriptures don't do. The American church does that all the time. We like safe ministry. We like ministry that we get to go home and and don't necessarily have to take a shower afterwards. We don't like danger. We don't like mystery. We want to know the answers. We want to know what we're going to get ourselves into. We want to be safe. Let me tell you something about safety. The opposite of safety is not danger. The opposite of safety is freedom. Think about this. If we have, it doesn't matter who the man is, becomes president. When he's a a, a regular citizen, he can go wherever he wants. He can do whatever he wants. But once he becomes president, the Secret Service says, Sir, there's certain places you cannot go. There's certain things you cannot do because we need to keep you safe. So in order to keep you safe, we have to take away some of your freedom. But what does the Bible tell us? That where the Spirit of God is, there is what? Freedom. Freedom from what? Freedom, not, we, we understand freedom from the power of sin, but the freedom of the idol of safety. The, the disciples carried out their ministry in, in a way that was not safe, they were constantly attacked, they were killed but they also turn the world upside down. See, and we want to we ask ourselves as a church, why is the church of America not turning the world upside down? Because we want to be safe. My last point, be discerning. We're called to try the spirits. First John 4, 1 John 4.1. Nehemiah has this clear, serene conscience that detects sin when it appears in the guise of sanctity. He knows what these guys were up to. He knows they were trying to trick him. He knows that they were trying to make him afraid, but he was discerning. I'm not. We used to say, I'm not going to fall for the okey-doke. I'm not falling for that. I see what you're trying to do. You've constantly been on me trying to get me to stop what God has called me to do. If you're going to do that, you need to be discerning. He knew that it would involve cowardly desertion from his post. It would also involve a desecration of the holy temple. And he wasn't going to do it. In our text, we've seen internal assaults of the enemy in earlier parts of the passage and earlier chapters, and he is still at it. Satan is still at it. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind and by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. It starts with your understanding of having your mind renewed through the scriptures, hearing the voice of Jesus telling you it is a great work. And this is, this, is, this is something you need to understand too, because the church is under some attacks now, right? We understand it. We don't even really have to get into the particulars about it. But they use the Bible to separate themselves from other believers. Where well, that's a problem right there, because we're called to be unified, right? Unity around Christ. I'm not talking about um, heresy. I'm talking about points of view, how we see certain things in the scripture, these inter- internal attacks are done with sophisticated theological arguments that will take you to do your homework to see is what what they're saying is true. It sounds like it might be true. You need to find out. Expect these three challenging things to happen if you're in ministry, if you're participating in the work of a church. You are going to be distracted. You are going to be discouraged. You are going to need discernment. That's a given. That's what it is. It's like when you go to war, one of the things, put a helmet on because there's going to be bullets flying. This Christian faith is not safe. If you're practicing a safe Christianity, you're not practicing a Christianity of the Bible. We have an enemy that is relentless. He started in Genesis 3, and he doesn't stop until he stopped in Revelation 20. Satan is the poster child of being persistent knows he's not gonna win, but he doesn't stop. He keeps coming and coming and coming for generations and generations and centuries and centuries. He does not stop. My wife said if Satan had a t shirt, it would read, Can't stop, won't stop. <laughs> he's relentless. And no, we have an enemy that is relentless but we have a God that is relentless also. He will see his will be done in this earth. He will see it come into fruition. We know that. We believe that. So the persistence of Satan shouldn't knock you off your game. So verse 15. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elal in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. This is what it came down to. This is why he tried to stop them. It's about God's glory. What did the people say? The nations around us, they, they fell greatly in their own esteem. Why? Because they perceived that this work was accomplished with the help of God. This was God's deal. His glory was expressed. Nehemiah achieved what he was trying to achieve, and you can too. But in verse 19... Also, they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him and Tobias sent letters to make me afraid. It doesn't end. The wall is built, his enemies are fearful and they're still on it. So what is the encouragement for you? Well, this is relentless. This doesn't sound like an encouraging sermon. I, I'm not leaving here feeling good. I'm leaving here feeling like the heat is outside, and that is an Arizona illustration. The heat's always going to be there. It's going to be there. It's going to be there until it's over either Christ is going to return or your time is going to expire. But here's the encouragement. Second Timothy chapter four, verses six through eight. This is the apostle Paul, the end of his ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do you love his appearing? Do you really love his appearing? Would would they be able to, to read this at your funeral? The idea here is Paul understood that he was about to be beheaded, and the picture is the sacrificial pyre with his body being burnt and his blood being poured over his body, sending up smoke as a sweet aroma into heaven. Now it's a little gory. But if you were in this time, you would understand the sacrifices. What Paul was saying is my life was everything that I gave to God. I left nothing on the table. My body was done. My blood was was poured over it. The smoke of the fire went to heaven. Even in my death, I was honoring God with a sacrifice of my finished spent life. What are they going to say about you? What are they going to say about me? Is that our reality? Are you living your life like that? Because here's the good thing, if you're not, you can start today. What is that dream that God has given you? Do it. Don't be afraid. Don't be satisfied with just this come and go ministry. Don't just be a participant. Paul is not talking about a participation trophy here where every Christian gets this, this, this award. You get this when you live like this. But my encouragement to you is just live out what you believe. Just do it. Don't worry about it. Just do it. Leave that fear behind. Don't get discouraged. Be discerning. And do it because you love God. Because he has given each and every one of us a great work. Amen? Amen. So at this time, we come to the communion table. And this is a time that we remember the sacrifice that Jesus Christ had made on our behalf. If, if, if you are hearing this today and you're not a Christian, my prayer for you is that today would be the day of salvation. That today would be your, the day that, that you understand who Jesus Christ is and what he's come to do for you. And that now you can live this fearless life with a great work set before you that you can put your hands to. This is available to you that now you get to worship God in spirit and in truth. The one true God. If you say that you are a believer, you are a Christian, that you've been raised with Christ, that you've been filled with his Holy Spirit, with his Holy Spirit then I hope this message is an encouragement to you to keep the faith. Don't fear. Yes, you have an enemy that is relentless, but this Jesus, the one who came, bled, and died on your behalf is even more relentless and he has the victory on your behalf. This is a time where we celebrate what he's done for us. We celebrate that life, that death, that resurrection, because now we don't have to fear that we can call him brother. If we just take a few minutes of silence and then we'll go and we'll partake of the elements. On the night he was put to death, Jesus took bread and gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body. Let us eat. And the Bible says, in the same way, he took the cup. The cup that represented his blood and he gave it to his disciples said let us drink let's pray Father God we thank you for your word we thank you for Jesus we thank you for the gift of yourself God that now that we belong to you we have you and everything that comes with it. Lord, we pray that you would help us, lead us, guide us, encourage us, strengthen us to do the work that you've called us to do. These things we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.